Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother 
and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for your word which ever abides, and we thank you for your spirit who can make that word to live, live to each one of us. May that be true for us tonight, that we may go out in the power of the spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, can I first of all thank you for the assurance of your prayers, my good wife Margaret, who's in hospital. Uh, I did ask her whether she would wish me to uh, not to preach tonight and go and visit her instead. I got a strong word, not on your life, uh, said my word. You go back and give them a real humdinger. So it's my... I'm not quite sure what a humdinger is. I looked up in the dictionary. I'm not sure you'll have a humdinger tonight. But anyway... Thank you for your prayers. And two of the congregation very thoughtfully are there with her tonight, knowing she'll be missing uh, being with us, and not especially because I'm preaching, but she loves to be around in, in the house of God. We value your continuing prayers uh, that God will restore her and guide those who uh, look after her. And I value prayers that God will keep me going. And uh, preaching tonight is a great joy. It's not, it's not a... a, a a duty. I'm very happy to be here. But I was this morning greatly comforted. I don't know about you, I'm very bad at getting the radio, my alarm, radio alarm, to get the right uh, frequency. I like Radio 4 for the news, but I'd somehow got shifted onto Radio Nottingham, which I've never heard before in my life. But I was on Radio Nottingham. But here is the Lord's goodness. The Lord overrules even my ham-fisted way with technology. For somebody... It must have been a little thought for the day. I didn't hear the thought for the day in Radio Nottingham, but I heard somebody sing just a, a verse of Stuart Townend's song, and it was just meant for me. Here it went, I will stand on every promise of your word, for your covenant is sure, and on this I am secure. I can stand on every promise of your word. Eventually I got the news and that did, on Radio 4 that did me no good whatever. I'm so glad. God bless Radio Nottingham. I'm so glad for, <laughs> for that word. And I began in bed this morning before I raised myself for the day. I began to just sum up a few promises of his word that I needed to hear. I will never leave you nor forsake you. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus and I pass them on to Margaret, and we're both encouraged by them. Well, there you are. Enough of that. Uh, lovely to be with you, and on this uh, epiphany evening to share with you something of the glory and the shame uh, from that passage. Tonight is, I suppose, 12th night, is that right? Uh, and uh, 
do you remember that rhyme all about uh, three French hens, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree? Isn't it amazing what nonsense we sing? What on earth is that all about? What help do you get from a partridge in a pear tree or three French hens and two turtle doves? Well, now, happily, it is the Feast of the Epiphany on the 12th night, and we're going to somewhere where there's no uh, legend. Well, there is a legend, of course. There are all sorts of things about this, these wise men that people get all bogged down with. Actually, it doesn't say they were through three. It doesn't say they were king. And it doesn't, I think, say the star moved. So there you are, all these things you can add to the story. Uh, if you want the expert on whether the star moved or not, Ben on our staff is an expert on Matthew's gospel and he will tell you whether or not the star moved. But we moved, uh, they moved and they moved and they found the star and followed the star. What does count about this great story of the wise men traveling east is that it uh, is a reminder to us of, first of all, the sovereignty of God in scripture. If you want, you can find in Psalm 72, a great reference to people coming from the east and gold and incense in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6. But the real challenge of Matthew chapter 2 is not the contrast between kings of the east, if they were kings, and King Jesus. It's the contrast between King Jesus and King Herod. And then we begin to be in business this is so relevant to where we are today. And therefore, the challenge of this story, as we see these wise men traveling and King Herod going about his business, the great contrast between the glory and the shame. After I finish preaching, we're going to have a lovely solo, which those lines come, the glory and the shame. And it's very much the challenge of today. Because you see, the story of the wise men... Uh, going away, coming from the east and getting to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem is a reminder to us of what this day is all about and what this new year should be all about. And it's interesting, isn't it, that when you've got the story of the wise men behind you, we go on to read the rest of chapter 2. You see, the lesson for today, the Feast of the Epiphany, only reads Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I think they miss out the shame bits. Great pity. We just leave with the great joy and the wonder of it. But then what about King Herod? You see, the, the, the Bible story always wants to link the two. If you follow the prayer book, the old prayer book challenge of Christmas time, do you, all the dates that come one after the other, this last week, December the 25th, I would remind you, if I need to remind you, it's called in the prayer book, the Nativity of Our Lord, commonly called Christmas Day. December the 26th is no, not Boxing Day, whatever that means. I never understood what it's to do with pugilism or sending boxes of presents. I have no idea. But Boxing Day doesn't come in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. It is St. Stephen's Day, the first Christian martyr. And he is remembered the very next day to Jesus. Cost him his life. December 27th, St. John's Day. St. John didn't die uh, like Stephen did. He went into exile and he died in exile, and in exile he had a vision, and he got the book of the Revelation, and the book of the Revelation hands down to us with the great promise that the one who once came will one day come again in glorious majesty. You getting the message, are you? On December the 28th, Innocence Day, the day we remember the slaughter of these innocents by jealous, mad, fanatical 
Herod. Not that long ago, is it, since, since we were thinking of children being massacred in a school in America? Anything change? That's the world in which we live, the glory. And the shame are the two need ever to go together. And the glorious thing about this Matthew 2 is that through all these events, Matthew sees scripture being fulfilled. That's why it's important we rest on the promise of his word. This morning Gareth reminded us of scripture and its relevance and its centrality in our life. How many times in Matthew 2 does it talk about scripture being fulfilled? I have a little test here really. Verse 6, it goes to Micah and it promises that it's there hundreds of years ago, the promise at Bethlehem would come the new ruler. And then you, you, you move on further on to, up to verse 15 and it talks about them coming out of Egypt. I call my son a quote from Hosea. Then the very moving one we'll come back to in a moment in verse 18 from the prophet Jeremiah. It goes back to Rachel who wept at the, at the death of her son Benjamin and it became a, a symbol of the people of God going into exile but would come back again, scripture being fulfilled. And then the really tricky one. If you know where the last verse of chapter two comes from, you could get a prize. You, where will you find it? The Old Testament it was called a Nazarene. Well, if you stick it out at the end of the sermon, I shall tell you. But it's a very tricky one. But all through chapter 2 is this reminder that God is in fulfillment. God is working out his purposes. God is in charge. My dear wife just reminded me of that, not knowing I was going to preach. Well, she knows I'm going to preach tonight, but not sure what I was going to say. Just gently reminded me that God is in charge. He's watching over you. He's going to sort it all out. And of course he is, whether you think of family dues, church dues, the world in which we live. But always, you see, God, the glory and the shame are together. He doesn't duck the suffering. He doesn't promise that we shouldn't have problems of suffering and pain and anguish and uncertainty. After all, why should we? He went that way. He came through the shame to the glory. So with me, listen, two thoughts. There's the homage of adoration. That's the story of the wise men. And there's the hatred of rejection. That's the story of Herod. Keep them together and then eventually we'll get to the song that will link them together before we go our several ways. The homage of adoration. Several men here. They're the wise men, of course. These wise men and they were spoken to by God in ways they understood. They didn't have the scripture to guide them. They had no Bible in front of them. They had no Christianity explored course to go to. And they were guided by the star. God works in his own sovereign way. But wow, the way they went challenges all of us. First they went hopefully. Then they bowed humbly. And then they gave happily. They went hopefully. It was a long journey to Jerusalem. Uh, not like the shepherds. The shepherds hadn't got far to go when they rejoiced the first Christmas. It was just down the road. But these men came uh, a long way. And they went hopefully and eventually they found and they were full of great joy. Interesting, isn't it? They went to Jerusalem expecting that's where the star would stop. Seat of power where kings reign. But no, no. The star went on to Bethlehem, 
not that kind of place, though it has a fulfillment, as we'll see in a moment. I wonder if you remember the Old Testament story of Naaman the Syrian who had leprosy. And in that story, when Naaman the Syrian is told to go to the people of God, for he'll find a remedy, he goes to the king. He goes to the civic ruler who's got nothing to offer. And then he finds an ordinary prophet in his house who's got a word for him. And at the beginning of this new year, with all the uncertainty of the world in which we live, when I moved from that lovely song, Radio Nottingham, and I found the right place in Radio 4, I got bombarded with the fact that now we're going to have the, the bishops of the Church of England, and I decided we're going to have gay bishops now, after all, in spite of what synods say. What a world in which we live. What a mad world in which we live. And a mad church hell-bent on its own destruction. Well going on its own destruction. And it's into that kind of world that we need the grace to keep moving on trusting the Lord. And these men went, hopefully, the long journey, but they found their joy. And the beginning of a new year, you won't find your joy in the rulers, in the leadership of church or state. You'll find them in the Saviour alone, who is the same yesterday, today and forever. That lovely verse in Isaiah 40, good verse at the beginning of a new year. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We often sing it. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How are you on this first Sunday in the new year? I can't say I've been mounting up with wings like eagles very obviously in the last few days. And I don't expect most of us are mounting up with wings like eagles. But running and being, not being weary, getting on with a job. And then the, 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 the real challenge, walk and not faint. The beautiful thing in scripture is that it goes in the right direction. You'd expect to finish with mounting with wings like eagles. That's the great thing. Now anybody can, at moments of excitement and thrill, mount up with wings like eagles. Some of us don't find it too hard to do a job of work and not get weary, but day by day, to walk and not faint throughout the weeks and months of this new year. Well, these men went, hopefully, on a long journey, and it's a reminder to us, a challenge to us. They not only went hopefully, they bowed humbly. With your Bible open, that word comes three times, verse 2, verse 8, verse 11, and we'll sing about it later on with worshipping, telling God what he's worth. And the Greek word has got this note of bowing down humbly. Now, I come from very good Protestant traditions, and the Protestant church that I came from, we didn't do any of this sort of genuflecting and bowing to odd places in the church, and uh, I'd never come across all this kind of thing until I, was, I went to, be, to, to, to a training for the ministry. I was going to my selection conference. So we had this communion service and I'd never been used to people sort of going out from their pew and then going to the, into the centre aisle and sort of going flat on their face. I fell completely over two people and finished up in a heap. My chance of being ordained was very remote then, but I did get ordained eventually. Now, if you find it helpful to do that, I'm not at all objecting to you, but I hope you'd realise it doesn't do a great deal. And it's got nothing to do with bowing and worshipping. Worshipping humbly means that I bow the knee. Two examples in Scripture, as well as these. 
In John 9, 38, there was a blind man who not, it was healed and then having been healed, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who, who is he, Lord? I'm he, said Jesus. And it says, the blind man said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. Went down on his face. He bowed the knee. He prostrated before him. And the other verse in Philippians 2.10 that one day, says Paul, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So one day, like it or not, when Jesus Christ returns in glory, everybody will bow. What he wants now is that we'll bow in humility, willingly, not in, subversion, not in submission, unwilling submission. Bowed humbly, went happily, went hopefully and gave happily. The three gifts they brought, that's why I suppose they thought the three kings a gift apiece, and they brought the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And if you were well brought up as a child, you remember what all those three things symbolise. Gold, Jesus the king. Frankincense, Jesus the priest. Myrrh, Jesus the dying man what you embalm a man with when he dies. And the whole theme of the, you get the theme of the glory and the shame, the king who is a priest who will die for us, here he is in essence. And they gave happily. Uh, I, I did enjoy singing in all five carols, so we don't get a prize, those of us who sang five times, but we enjoyed it. Tenors are a rare breed, and therefore we tenors had to work hard for our living. And we sang five times, and I enjoyed singing five times. One carol we didn't sing this year, but uh, we, we often do. Uh, in the bleak midwinter, and you get this line, what shall I give him poor as I am? I used to look around the congregation at Fullwood, uh, and when we sang that hymn and thought, we hypocrites, poor as I am, we sing to the Lord with all the wealth that we've got in the, this church. Well... It goes on to say, what shall I give him? Give him my heart. And I do hope that's something we shall give. Strange thing, when I've got a wife who's got a bad heart. Somebody asked how my wife was. I said, she's in good heart, which is not true. She's in bad heart, but she's in good heart. In the other sense, uh, what shall I give him? Give him my heart. Gave happily. Went hopefully. Bowed humbly. There's the wise men. What about the angry man, just briefly? I always get lost with the Herods, but I do know this Herod was a man who called himself, loved to be called, do you know what? King of the Jews. That was Herod's proud, arrogant title. He wasn't a Jew, but he liked to think himself as king of the Jew. A puppet ruler who acted like a lot of puppet rulers do, when he got disturbed and he was fearful in verse 3, he takes it out on other people. He gets his own back and he slaughters innocent people. The angry man. And uh, with all his power, he can only use his power to exalt himself at the expense of others. The kind of world in which we live in so many ways, in the politics of our world, there are plenty of Herods around the place. The wise men, 
the angry man. And the other man, the other man we can see there in this homage of adoration is the God-man. There is Jesus right in the center and he's there in Bethlehem. He is the king of the Jews. You will remember, I'm sure, that three times in Matthew 27 comes the phrase, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. How Herod would have, would have snide his nose up at it. For the king of the Jews was hanging on a cross, dying as a criminal with a crown of thorns. That's my king. And that's the king we long to rule our world where so many Herods are strutting around. He is the God-man, and significantly, he was uh, Bethlehem, David's home. But even more, it's because David was a shepherd, and here's the one who was the true shepherd. He's the one who's worth leading. We do need to pray for more and more people who will have something of the spirit of Jesus, who will lead in our church and in our world to give us hope. It's following the uniqueness of this God-man. The homage of adoration. Well, that's the nice bit. And yet, the other is there. The hatred of rejection, verses 13 to the end. We were reminded this morning, when Gareth was preaching to us this morning, speaking to us this morning, we are reminded of the story of Simeon. And Simeon, the old man who took the infant baby Jesus and said to Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, that this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Some will come up and some will go down and a sword will pierce through your own heart also. Remarkable word. That is right from the very beginning. Jesus brings glory and hope but he also brings a sword. It is a costly business to follow a suffering saviour. And there are three pictures of that cost in these last verses of Matthew 2. Home left, family lost, claims laughed at. Home left there in verses 13 to 15 because of the Herods, Jesus and his uh, family move away uh, and they go to Egypt briefly and then are brought back out of Egypt and then will eventually settle in Galilee and fulfill the prophecy of scripture as it always happens. But first of all, they had to leave home. They became one of that long train of history of refugees. I've no idea about statistics, but my guess is there are probably many more refugees in our world than ever in the history of the world. Thousands and thousands of people who've left their home have been driven out of their home because of man's inhumanity to man, because of strutting heralds of our day. And our home was left. And we need to have a care and a prayer for the refugee, the exile. And in the mercy of God, the home was left. It was like a second exodus. That when they came back out of Egypt, when they came back to Galilee, it was like another exodus. And the quote there, going back to the Old Testament. Home left, family lost. That grim world. Now please note the... The good side of that, the slaughter of the innocents. You know the story. 
He killed every child that might have been this Jesus. Killed every child that could have been king of the Jews. Let's get rid of the opposition. I find it in, in my years of now in my 80s, I find it both disturbing and almost exhilarating to see that it's tougher now to be a Christian than ever was in my life. And the opposition to the name of Jesus gets more and more. It is coming in every day in lots and lots of ways. And therefore, there is going to be increasingly people who will suffer for their faith. Many parts of the world will suffer loss of life, loss of family. But notice that in verse 17, when Jeremiah is prophesied, when Jeremiah's prophecy is mentioned, the fulfillment of Scripture What's he going back to? In Jeremiah 31, it says, yes, there will be exile, but here's a lovely promise. They will return. There is hope for the future. Ask the politicians of today what hope there is for the future. Ask church leaders of our day what hope there is for the future. And the kind of manifesto they know very little. But we who know what scripture teaches, we who rejoice today in the fulfillment of these verses know without d- doubt that there is hope. There is a future. How important to be sure that we have put our faith in that future. I thank God because of my many years of joyful fellowship in this church. I thank God that we step forward with vision, daring to go into the future. It will be costly. It may be costly in more ways than you know. I spoke this morning to a gentleman, just reminded me of the time we met in St. George's Tron in Glasgow, a great church. And St. George's Tron in Glasgow, I preached many years ago, uh, is now no more. They left the church because they wouldn't subscribe to... Uh, homosexual uh, acceptance, homosexual practice, and so they're out of the church. Oh, the church is alive. The church is vigorous, but the building has been vacated, or they've been turned out of the building. And who knows what the future is for our Church of England. All I know is that where God is at work, and thank God he still is here, then we can look forward to the future. There is hope. We shall return. The future is not bleak for the people of God, but it may be paved with blood, sweat, toil, and certainly tears for the people of God. Now, in a sense, my final point seems very odd, but I I want to justify it and then finish. I've talked about home left, family lost. I said claims laughed at. What does this mean? Nazarene bit mean there is an Old Testament quote which says he will be called a Nazarene search as you will you will search in vain it is possible because the Hebrew could be linked with it that it's a different word which means the branch out of the stem of Jesse and he'll be the branch possibly but I think it's significant here that it's all to do with him going to live in Nazareth despised place Do you remember Uh, one of the disciples of Jesus when he first heard of Jesus? Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? 
He'd gone back, no, not, not in Bethlehem now. Now Jesus brought up in Nazareth, in Galilee, up north, Galilee of the Gentiles, a place always having uh, invasion on its doorstep. And it was a despised place. Uh, and when Jesus was being tried, somebody said, you search, you'll not find any prophet comes from Galilee. Well, they were wrong. Jonah came from Galilee, so they got it wrong in any case. But here was another who would come from Galilee, out of the despised Galilee, he would come. I hope you get the point. I always found it difficult in, in my ministerial days to be rejected by fellow clergy, to be laughed at because we make a stand for the gospel, to be gently pushed on one side. You're one of those. It will always get more difficult. And the challenge comes to us, are we willing to take the shame of the gospel, not to be ashamed of it? There's a lovely ASB prayer. I love the old colleagues, but I love some of the new colleagues. And one of the new colleagues in the ASB talks about the tree of shame becoming the tree of glory. The tree of shame becoming the tree of glory. And make no mistake about it, when Jesus died on the cross, he was, it was a shame. To die on a cross was not just cruel physically, it meant you were a despised person. Only criminals could be hung on crosses. It was the death of an outcast. It was painful in every way and it was rejection. But the tree of shame became the tree of glory. Now I make no apologies that I finish, that I use an anecdote that I've used often in the past. There are those well-established, long-toothed uh, long teeth member of this church who will remember all my anecdotes. Some, if you'd like to publish them, I'd be very glad to sign the book at the end, Anecdotes of Hacking. Uh, but I unashamedly come back to this anecdote because I think it's very relevant. And there are lots of young people here who will never have heard it and will probably never want to hear it again. But they probably won't. Probably won't. But that day some years ago, it was all relevant to Christmas, dashing down to London. Uh, it was my turn to get the Christmas cards. Margaret and I had this sort of battle. Whose turn to buy the Christmas cards? It was my turn that year to buy the Christmas cards. And I landed on St Pancras Station, and there were all these students selling uh, Christmas cards. Oh, God said, I swooped in, bought, bought the job lot, uh, and uh, didn't bother looking at the pictures until one of the students said, Will you have a look at the picture? Do you like it? So I opened the posh packet, and there the picture was beautiful. It showed Jesus, the baby, in the stable, and the sun was picking up the beam, the shadow of the beam on the roof, and over the face of Jesus was the cross. And the students said to me, very perceptive, you see, they're not selling very well. I don't think they like the cross at Christmas phrase I've always remembered I don't think they like the cross at Christmas the baby lovely the cross but that's why the baby came that's what it was all about the cross he would go to was inevitable by his name Jesus and at Christmas I guess many of us most of us perhaps broke bread drank wine and remembered the death of Jesus on his birthday, 
Whoever does that. But we do. Because that's why he came. And I simply want to say to you that that death of Jesus makes it possible that all the year round we can celebrate like we celebrate at Christmas. The tree of shame became the tree of glory. And it's my prayer that this Jesus will become more meaningful to you and to me. I confess these last two or three days have not been easy as you well know. Morris and I are, have been an item for a very long time and kind of, it seems odd being stuck around on my arm without Margaret there. Um, but okay, many of you have been through much worse than that and I may have much worse to go through in the days to come. But it just helps to bring it home how much we need the one who doesn't change, who is always there. The same yesterday, today and forever. And as in a moment we have the song sung to us, just listen to the words and I think you'll find that they pick up beautifully, though I didn't ask for this to be sung, pick up beautifully the thought. God help us to be willing for the shame that we may enjoy the glory.